economy is crumbling. They say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Port Newell. He went with Danny Baker. So you silly disco songs of reading Melody Baker. I'm singing down the dunker. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. My guest today for this eighth episode in the special election series is Julia Sandri. Julia is an associate professor of political science at ESPOL at the Catholic University of Lille in France. Her main research interests are digital politics, comparative politics, quality of democracy and political behavior. She has also written extensively on Italian electoral and party politics. Notably, she co-edited the special issue Politics in Italy 2022, the year of Mario Draghi, for the journal Contemporary Italian Politics. Today, we will discuss the context, results and consequences of the Italian parliamentary elections that were held on September 25th. Welcome to the podcast, Julia. Thank you, Cass. Thank you for inviting me. Now, the first question is, obviously, what is the first sports team you ever supported? Well, I have to say I'm not really into team sports, sorry. Sometimes I support Italy rugby team because both my son and my father are heavily into rugby. But I really like rhythmic gymnastics and I've been for a long time a supporter of Alina Kabaeva, who is one of the most decorated gymnasts in rhythmic gymnastics history. She has been twice Olympic champion and has won several awards and European championships. She is now a Russian politician and apparently the longtime mistress of Russian President Vladimir Putin. Hmm. Second, what is your favorite political song? Well, I grew up in a communist household in Italy, so in my youth I was heavily into Joan Baez and into Limani. I like a lot Hurricane by Bob Dylan, and in Italian my favorite one is Contessa, a song about the 1968 workers and students movement in Italy. There's a nice rendition by Modena City Ramblers, uh, which is more rock and folk. And finally, the difficult question for academics, what's your favorite political book? Well, I have to say it's more of a history book. It's hard to choose one, but I think I'll go for Post-War by Tony Jude. It's very rich in details and the narrative is really enthralling. Let's ease in by sketching the context of these elections, which were quite remarkable. The 2018 elections created three different camps, none of them strong enough to govern alone, while it also changed power within the right-wing camp. Can you give us a concise summary of the key outcomes of that election and how one election result gave birth to three very different governments? Yeah, so after the 2018 elections, there were three main blocks that emerged from the electoral competition. The Five Star Movement, the League, and in particular as the main force of the centre-right coalition, composed also by Berlusconi's party, Forza Italia, and Brothers of Italy, the party of Giorgia Meloni, which back then had a very minor role in the coalition. And, of course, the centre-left coalition, composed by the Democratic Party, the main social democratic party in Italy, and other small leftist forces. It took three months for the president of the Republic, Mattarella, to negotiate to see how to form a government. But in the end, a government was formed between the Five Star Movement and the Centre-Right Coalition, where the Lega was the main actor. 
This was called the government of change under the leadership of Giuseppe Conte, who was a university professor, not really active yet in politics, but close to the five-star movement. There was also the first all-populist government, as was called also by the international media. Conte's first government was actually toppled by its own Minister of Interior, the League leader Salvini, who in August 2019 decided calling for new election and therefore withdrawing the support to the government in order to push the president to organize snap election and become the next prime minister. This backfired and after a few weeks of negotiations, a new government led by Conte, so the Conte second or the Conte II government was sworn in, but this time supported by a different parliamentary majority composed by the Five Star Movement, but on the other hand by the leftist and centre-left parties, in particular the Democratic Party. The Conte II government managed most of the pandemic periods, managed the economic crisis that ensued, but the internal coalitions also remained very, very unstable. And after months of quarrels in January 2021, the government was toppled again by a party which was part of the majority. Matteo Renzi Italia Viva, or Italy Alive, a centrist liberal party that withdrew its minister, withdrew its support for the government majority and asked Mattarella to explore the possibility to either go to elections or create a new government. As the pandemic was still in full swing, Mattarella decided not to go for snap elections and negotiated with all the different parties the creation of a new government, of course, with a new parliamentary majority supporting it. And in the end, February 2021, Mario Draghi, the former president of the European Central Bank, became the new prime minister based on a national unity government, meaning very broad coalition where all the parties of the Italian party system were participating, except for Brothers of Italy, which remain outside the parliamentary majority and the government. So we've had three governments, a COVID crisis and a Ukraine war. That would mean that the campaign had quite a lot of issues to discuss. What were the main campaign issues for this election? Already in the first months of its existence, the Draghi government was also supported by a very unstable coalition. And the situation worsened mostly with the tensions regarding the military aid to Ukraine, concerning the use of the European funds to recover Italian economy. And in July 2022, in particular, the Falstaff movement started to act as if it would withdraw the support to the government. And in the end, this was done mid-July with the announcement of Conte that the Five Star Movement will not be in government anymore and therefore Draghi held a confidence vote and this was not obtained. So the confidence was not obtained by Draghi in the Senate because not only the Five Star Movement defected, but also the Lega and Forza Italia did not give the confidence to Draghi's government and therefore snap election were called for September 2022. You can see that the main themes of the campaign 
corresponding to the questions, the issues that actually led to the fall of the Draghi government. Therefore, from the beginning, the most important issue was the energy transition, but also utility bills and gas prices and a set of other issues that were mostly dictated by the national and international context of crisis. But also issues such as the management of migration flows and of managing the resources allocated by the National Recovery and Resilience Plan has also been at the center of the campaign. The campaign is peculiar because it started later than usual because this is the first time that elections were held in September rather than in the spring. And this meant that parties spent most of the summer trying to build the coalition and create the electoral list. And therefore, they had a little time, mostly end of August and September, to actually organize the campaign both online and over Italy. So the big winner was the right-wing bloc, which for some reason goes by the center-right bloc. Although in electoral terms, the score wasn't that remarkable, pretty similar to 1994, for example. But there has been another shift, while initially dominated by Forza Italia in 2018, it shifted to Salvini. And this time, the Fratelli of Meloni was the big winner. Now, this coalition has three different parties that are often confusingly labeled. How should we see the Lega, Forza Italia, and Fratelli? What are the best terms? What are the key differences between them? Forza Italia is mostly conservative and Christian democratic in terms of value type of party with some populist tendencies and which developed timidly liberal socioeconomic programs when in government, but is not a far-right or nativist party. Berlusconi governments were right-wing populist governments with some center-right and far-right components. However, Matteo Salvini's Lega is mostly a right-wing, formerly federalist, but not anymore, populist and conservative political party. And Brothers of Italy, which is clearly dominating the rightist bloc today, is also quite different ideological term. The Brothers of Italy as a party emerged in 2012 as a right-wing populist and national conservative party. Meloni's ideological background is strongly nationalist and Eurosceptic. And, for example, in the European Parliament, Brothers of Italy leads the European Conservative and Reformist group. Actually, Meloni is the leader of that group since 2020. Of course, a question that many are asking is how influential are Brothers of Italy's neo-fascist or post-fascist roots? Well, it's complicated because Brothers of Italy is not a party of violent dictatorship, is operating within the structures of representative democracy, but its policies today can be compared to those of Poland uh, law and justice or to some extent the US Republicans, for example. However, Brothers of Italy genealogy, so it is the successor to National Alliance, itself a successor of the neo-fascist Italian social movement, does live on in a certain uh, family resemblances with post-fascists. For example, in this campaign, Meloni put forward the idea of sport as an answer to youth deviation. 
or she also showed some attraction to conspiracy theories. And in various occasions, Meloni, for example, evoked the far-right great replacement idea. And she did not distance herself explicitly from the hardline wing of the party, therefore strategically combining post-fascist nostalgia with models inspired by mainstream conservative parties such as Likud, the Polish law and justice that we were mentioning, and so forth. Now, one of the remarkable things that happened in this election is that the Brothers of Italy became very strong in the north, even overtaking the Lega at times. This will put massive pressure on Matteo Salvini, the leader of the Lega, who initiated this move away from a northern strategy to a more Italian strategy. Do you think that Salvini's in trouble, that he might be forced out? And do you think that the party itself will go back to a more northern-centric strategy? Of course, Salvini is now under fire within his own party, but his leadership will be hard to be challenged now because Salvini exerted a very tight control over the creation of the electoral list. And this means that all the new elected MPs are actually owing him their position, owing him their seat. And this will allow Salvini to keep a bit of control over what's happening within the party. The two main opponents to Salvini leadership are the two very powerful regional governors of Veneto, meaning Luca Zaia, and of Friuli, Fedriga. And they have already started to organize to the party or some opposition within the party to challenge the leadership. And probably they are coalescing around Giorgetti serving Minister of Economic Development in the government of Mario Draghi. And the chances to be successful might be hindered by the fact that, as I said, Salvini still has a tight control over the party organization and newly elected parliamentarians. And this might rather translate, if the change in the leadership is not possible, might translate into a potential change in the brand, in the main ideology of the league. The Lega Nord, so the northern component of the league, might raise its head and those that within the party think that he sold out the north might ask what it was all done for to end up with a Rome-centric party running Italy now, Brothers of Italy meaning. So to try to prevent this, Salvini might start to put forward, again, requests to strengthen the regional constitutional setting and to elaborate new constitutional reform for strengthening regional autonomy, which already has started to do a few days ago. Right. And so this brings us to the internal cohesion. As you said, Italy had three different governments in the previous period. All of them were internally unstable. Now, this is often seen as this kind of right-wing bloc, as ideologically fairly homogenous, but there are various tensions. What do you see as the most important challenges to the stability of this government going forward? Well, they have a solid majority in both houses, that's sure. But the point is that they have very different positions according to several crucial elements. 
the future economic and budgetary policies of Italy and specifically foreign policy and relationship with the European Union and European partners. The main point here is that even if the mandate to form a new government is given to Meloni, we will not have a government before the end of October. And this also means that Meloni will face very soon a huge obstacle. In the short term, the most relevant challenge will be to agree on a common governmental program. We were seeing before the different line of conflict between the three parts of the government majority, especially regarding the sanctions against Russia, also the relationship with NATO and Atlantic allies and so on. In the short term, the most relevant challenge will be also to distribute ministerial portfolios. Often in Italy, this takes the shape of a political stock exchange. And this might actually generate a lot of frustration in Salvini and Berlusconi that are now reduced to junior partners. And therefore, they might use this frustration to turn into a long or midterm some dangers to the coalition and especially to the government stability. Italy electoral history showed that even the largest and most solid majorities face the risk of internal erosion and collapse over time. And actually, we've just seen that the last three governments were toppled by parties that were part of the government coalition. And of course, Lega already has a history of toppling its own government. Meloni played very interestingly with gender in her campaign. This is, of course, another issue. We have the first female prime minister in Italian history leading a coalition with two male leaders who are pretty much known for a machismo personality. How do you think that works at the personal level? Can people like Berlusconi and Salvini play second fiddle to a woman? I think that the difference in gender might certainly exacerbate the conflicts that are already there. I think that for someone like Salvini and to a lesser extent Berlusconi, having to deal with a powerful, in terms of electoral political size, woman as Meloni will be harder than deal with any kind of other male leader. I don't think that Berlusconi and Salvini are underestimating Meloni, but that their visions of gender roles in society and or Meloni in particular might make the negotiation harder than they should be. So internationally, the interest is particularly on three aspects, Ukraine, the EU, and then, although to a lesser extent, Italian democracy. What do you think the effect of the new Italian government will be on EU policies on Ukraine, on the European Union itself, and on Italian democracy? Well, I'll start with number three. I don't think that concerning the state of Italian liberal democracy future, we need to worry too much or there will be risk of regression. Because the balance of power in Italy has proven to work very well in the past, even under the darkest hours of terrorism or a financial crisis during the Berlusconi governments, for example. The President of the Republic and the Constitutional Court have proven to be very reliable institutions in constraining the power of the executive and the parliament, for example, when necessary. However, there will be certainly consequences, especially for Italian minorities, sexual, gender, ethnic, in terms of civil rights. 
And certainly the government will bring about negative change concerning anti-poverty policies, welfare states, immigration policies, and so on. At European level, I mostly think that the role of Italy and Italian government as a force for change, for strengthening European integration, for negotiating new agreements will, of course, win down, will be changed in a more negative sense. The Franco-Italian cooperation, think about the Quirinale Treaty signed just a few months ago, will clearly disappear. And probably the incoming Italian government will be ready to use or threaten its veto power in many different European institutions to prevent EU from setting precedents from Article 7 to the conditionality of recovery plan and other European funds. So to sum up, Italy will be no longer a force for good, let's say, within the EU, but rather a free-riding member state, mostly negotiating and interacting with European partners in a transaction way, with no room left for solidarity. At a more international level, I think that Meloni has reassured the electorate and the European partners quite well so far that her allegiance to the transatlantic alliances and relations to the policies that have been set so far by the European Union for dealing with the energy crisis and the war in Ukraine will not shift too much. So I do not expect a dramatic change in foreign policy, but everything depends on the composition of the government and who will be in the key positions. For example, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, of course, but also who will be the interior minister, who will be the minister of finance. Now, the right-wing bloc is not the only story. Quite remarkable was the comeback, at least in terms of the polls, of the Five Star Movement, which split in the last government and then was reinvented by Conti. So what was this party that started out as just a populist party with no coherent program? Where are they now and how do you explain its bounce back? Well, I think that his bounce back is mostly explained by the capacity of Conte, who was actually rather underestimated in Italian politics to reorganize the party in a very short amount of time. Most importantly, he approved a new statute, gave new rules to the party. He emancipated the Five Star Movement from the private company, the Casaleggio Company, one that controlled the Rousseau platform that managed most of the internal decision making in the party. And this private company owned the platform for internal voting and for decision making and dealing with the personal data of the members and the elected members of the party. But more specifically, during the campaign, Conte managed to position the Five Star Movement clearly to the left and reasserted the role as a force of proposition, as a force that was putting forward new solutions or credible solution or alternative solution for the electorate. And therefore, this brought the party closer to its ideological roots. And the current five-star movement is therefore the brainchild of Conte. That explains at least partially the fact that the polls improved after the initial downward trend. And we have seen that the splinter by Di Maio that was created a few months ago, which was the more pro-government wing of the party, obtained only 0.6% of the votes and therefore proved to be absolutely non-relevant in Italian politics. Now, the big loser of the election was the left-wing bloc, particularly the Democratic Party, led by former Prime Minister Letta. How do you think they will respond to this? 
One would expect that Letta resigns or is pushed out, but more importantly, strategically and ideologically, with this new setting in which you have a still very strong right-wing bloc, but now a five-star movement, which is in the ideological space of the Democratic Party. Where do you think the party will go as well as its bigger bloc? What emerges from this election is that not only there's a recomposition in terms of ideological stances within the leftist camp, but also that the five-star movement has confirmed to be one of the main forces to be reckoned with if alliances has to be formed at the center-left of the political spectrum. That said, given the disastrous results and performance of the Democratic Party, which is so far a typical social democratic party that has progressed shifted to the center of the political spectrum over the years. It's clear that the party not only has to change its leader, but also to restructure its organization and rethink its ideological positioning. The internal struggle has already started with the Emilia-Romagna regional governor, Stefano Bonaccini, who is leading the charge against Letta and organizing a revolt which is interestingly led by a network of local office holders of of the party, mostly mayor, which means that it's the party bases that are active locally that are trying to bring change into the party. The problem that they are facing is that the dominant coalition, the leaders of the different factions that are present within the party, is quite stable and has proven to be able to survive the last five or six party secretaries or party leaders. And there's a huge group of party central elites that is not ready ready to give up their power. And that's actually the main block that this network of local office holders have to deal with if they want to manage to change the party. It's also been circulating the idea that the party will change its name, not only its platform. Finally, what is the greatest misunderstanding about Italian electoral politics? Yeah, I think that the role that the international media give to party leaders in Italy might be a bit excessive. Yes, Berlusconi is the creator of one of the first personal parties around Europe. Yes, the changes that Salvini has brought to the Liga are crucial. And clearly Meloni has played very well her role as a party leader in the last electoral campaign, using her charisma and her capacity to adapt to the audience and to the changes in the opinion polls. That said, all those leaders are still relying on very well-oiled party machines. The Liga actually has been often been labeled as one of the last mass-like parties in Europe. The Democratic Party also relies on a very well-structured, very well-rooted locally organization. And the same goes for Meloni, Brothers of Italy, even, of course, though Brothers of Italy is a way smaller party in terms of organization structures. So yes, the personalization of Italian politics, the importance of party leaders is growing, but I think that in order to win elections, in order to organize their ideological programs and platforms, they still need to rely on party structures. As a party scholar, I love to hear this, and this is actually one of my pet peeves of how political parties and organizations are increasingly written out of stories about politics and electoral politics. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Julia. Thank you for inviting me. You can follow Julia Sandri on Twitter at at Sandri Julia.
thank you for listening to Radical. The music is from the Gonads, with the classic song Karl Marx supported Millwall, and I'm your host, Kas Mudde. If you like the episode, please subscribe to Radical on your podcast platform of choice, and don't forget to rate us. Till the next time. The economy is crumbling, they say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolutions on the way, but I could never be a Marxist, it goes against the grain, and before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain, you say, come up to Paul Newell, he went with Danny Baker, see you silly disco songs and really melody maker, I'd see him down the dunk out, playing with his beard, no wonder that that's Capitale turned out a little weird.